You know, ever since my mental health crisis, I said that I would have more people on to talk about mental health. And so here is my friend Sarah, who is inpatient with me, and she is coming to talk about her bipolar disorder and how that affects her life and what it was like to be inpatient. And some of our stories cross over because uh, we were really good friends in there and maintain a new friendship outside. So thank you to Sarah for joining this episode of the podcast. And thank you to Gamban and thank you to Epic for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to All in the Addicted Gamblers podcast. My name is Brian, and sometimes now, since my mental health episode, we do an episode about mental health. And one of my friends who was inpatient with me is here to talk about her own journey of mental health and recovery and dealing with mental health issues. Sarah is here. Sarah, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Greetings. I'm good. Happy to be here. Uh, Sarah is super cool. And I met her the second day, my first morning in the inpatient facility that we were in, we were both in line to get our blood drawn. <laughs> and she was kind enough to say hello to me, which I very much needed because I was nervous as hell and uh, didn't know anybody. And was like, all right, someone talked to me. Hey, how are you? And then I glommed on to uh, Sarah and her group of friends that she already had made inside. So Sarah, um, let's just start with who you are and all the way leading up until, you know, the point at which we met. Yes, the intersection of the worst hour of our lives most far. Yeah, so I am Sarah. I... Uh, yeah, I can I can start with the beginning of my my mental health journey. I suppose um, when I was 15 years old, my parents lost our house. They had to file for bankruptcy, and that is when my anxiety symptoms started manifesting. I, funny enough, I was actually just talking about this in therapy this morning. Um, I feel like that was my safe, my idea, my, my um, like definition of safety was this house and this, this home that my family and I had, had made. And I, I took it very hard. So I started on my, my battle with anxiety. And from there was actually like put on medication right away, which I will, um, I guess I'll blanket statement here that this was the beginning of my, I'll call it an aversion, I guess you could say with, with medication. So I was put on medication at a young age and no one really ever said like, Hey, let's, let's reevaluate this in, in a year or in two years and, and see where you're at. I just was on it for a very long time. And I was in and out of therapy um, throughout the years. and got to a point where in college I was, I was pretty stable and felt like I had a good handle on things and wanted to get off of the medication and experience what life is like, kind of not having that band-aid. And my therapist at the time and, and my psychiatrist at all given me every, every reason why I needed to stay on oh, if you're stable, then don't get off of it because who knows what will happen to you or, oh, it's wintertime and seasonal depression and you don't know what's going to creep in. And, oh, it, it was just every single time I had, I had requested, which of course I, I could have, I guess, I suppose I could have gone forward with it on my own. But um, every time I brought that topic up, I was always shot down. So I thought that it was something that I needed. Like I wouldn't be okay if I didn't have it. And um, that was pretty limiting for me, but it wasn't until I, <laughs> it wasn't until a week prior to the uh, manic. Oh, oh, I guess I should, I guess I should have started with, um, I, I have bipolar disorder, bipolar one disorder. Um, but it was, it wasn't until my first manic event the week before that, funny enough, I was talking to my psychiatrist and I said, I finally feel okay. Like I, I, I feel really confident that I'm okay. And I really like, 
I want to get off this medication. I've heard all the excuses, like let's start tapering me off my anxiety meds that I'd been on since I was 15. I'm, I'm 20. I was 26 at the time. I'm 27 now, but, and she was like, all right, we'll, we'll go for it. And then days later I am in the hospital and having this manic event, quick sidebar. Am I allowed to talk about weed? Yeah. You can talk about whatever you want. Okay. I had actually stopped taking um, my medication uh, for for the first time in a very long time because it was determined by my psychiatrist at the time that the mania that I was experiencing was induced from an interaction between uh, weed and my medication, which my usage of weed had steadily been increasing as, um, you know, during this time, during that, that month, month or so. So my psych, my psychiatrist was like, you need to go in and and get a psych evaluation and, um, stop taking the medication, stop smoking weed and, you know, kind of see what's going on. And at that point, I, I got my, my evaluation. They didn't really make any diagnoses then they had just said you know we're not going to admit you you can admit yourself um if you feel that that's necessary or you can elect to start an IOP program so um an intensive outpatient program and they explained to me what that would look like a couple of days of therapy a week and I thought okay you know I'll, I'll go for that I had no idea what it would mean to be inpatient I truly was humbled by this entire experience. I had no idea um, what any of these terms and acronyms actually meant. Um, but nonetheless, I started the outpatient program, which was three days a week, uh, three hours a day over Zoom. And I started that, I was in it for about a week. And that's around the time that I was diagnosed by, um, by that psychiatric nurse that I was working with as, uh, at the time it was bipolar too, but it was in the first few days that I was diagnosed. And initially I was really happy about it. Why were you happy about it? Was it like a feeling of relief just to put a name on it of what you were feeling? Yeah, I felt, I felt as though, and I will say the psychiatric nurse that I was meeting with was incredibly compassionate and was just listening to me. I'm a very tangential person. Uh, This was elevated by the fact that I was manic. (laughs) I had a lot to say. And I also had so many years of really being brushed under the rug uh, when I would express my, my concerns that having somebody really hear me, I felt like he had a good understanding of what I was going through. And it kind of, it it was an answer for me in a way to connect the, I guess that kind of faded as time went, as time progressed. So what, it wasn't long after getting diagnosed that it was, I was probably in this outpatient program for a week and the program was three days a week. So I, I had like three days under my belt of this outpatient program. And all of a sudden, um, the, the next week, uh, morning of, I was being told that they recommended that I go inpatient, which again, I, I had no idea what that meant. And I, they had, they didn't think that I was safe to be on my own and also felt like that was the best way for me to get medic medicated as quickly as possible. Did, was there a circumstance that set off the mania? So that's a good question because it kind of loops together a lot. Um, and specifically the apprehension that I, I began to, that began to grow within me surrounding my diagnosis. I had, um, so this is at the, this is at the end of August, uh, to put a time frame to it was when my mania really came to a head. But prior to that and during that, I had no idea what was going on. Um, I had gotten out of a longer term um, 
not necessarily longer term, but year long, serious relationship that didn't end well. I had gotten out of that probably early to mid July and I was moving and my first niece was about to be born and I was extremely, extremely stressed out at at work. I had a ton of responsibility put on me and just all these big life transitions happened at once. And I also was, you know, heavily self-medicating with weed and I wasn't taking care of myself. I had lost 15 pounds. Um, and I, I'm not necessarily somebody that has pounds to lose. So I was just really, I don't even know a word to put to it, but I was just going on overdrive in every area of my life. And I was bulldozing my way through certain things that I I think in a way were, was avoiding. You know, I was avoiding the grief of my relationship ending that I was really invested in. I was avoiding, you know, the fact that I wasn't happy at work and I had the stress. I was avoiding really just sitting with myself and like being alone again and living alone again and being in this new space. And I was just band-aiding a lot. But all of those things to me exist as their as their own factors. And I felt like putting a label on the way that I was feeling and these things that were happening and saying like, you, you were manic, all of those things lead to you being manic. Um, and now you're, you have bipolar. It was just to me like zero to 60. And I felt like, I guess the best way to say it is it's not like one day I was just going along and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm manic out of nowhere. There were so many things that preceded my, my mania that really, it really just sent me into this space of such utter confusion. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's very hard with bipolar because the, the threshold for diagnosis and the criteria is very open and fluid and doesn't really allow for interpretation or anecdotal information. It's either like, either you were impulsive or you weren't. And it doesn't matter why you may have been, it's just you were, um, and so on and so forth. So I guess those were all the factors that contributed to the mania, um, that were co-occurring with the mania. Um, and then also there's a level to this too, where I'm right at the age where some of these things start to, to bubble up and happen. It doesn't necessarily happen that way for everybody, but they say kind of 25 and on things start to manifest. So yeah, it's been, it's been a very confusing first six months of navigating what the hell has been going on inside my brain. So then you wound up in the same place that I spent time, which was, but you were there before me, uh, the purple pod as it's called. Um, do you want to talk about what you were wearing? (laughs) (laughs) So now keep in mind, right? Like I was told, we think you should, you should go inpatient, um, because where you're still experiencing these, these symptoms of mania and they had tried me on one medication, but it wasn't really working out. So they thought that it would be better to do that in a controlled environment. So I knew like where I was going, I was I was like purposefully packing up my things and getting my stuff together, um, which I know Brian was not your your experience. Nope. <laughs> so I decided it would be it would be best if I wore um, yellow flared sweatpants, which are a thing. Um, come to find out, a neon pink shirt that had uh, this kind of psychedelic sun design on the front with some choice verbiage about going against the grain or something like that. Um, a bucket hat, a corduroy bucket hat, which Brian, why don't you tell us what a bucket hat is? It, it looks like a bucket. It, 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 <laughs> I, I learned this the other night because Sarah and I were at a birthday party together and she was talking about the bucket hat and I had to Google it. You did have to Google it. Um, so a corduroy bucket hat and cream colored cowboy boots. Now that's how you walk. That's how you strut into the purple pod. So did they, yeah, I, you told to go to the ER or to the ED, yes. the emergency department? 
Yes. So they had said, you know, they gave me the instruction. This was this was the extent of the background of the instructions that I would the expectation of what it would be. I just had instructions on how to get to the purple pod, how to get to the emergency department. I had no like when you get there, you're gonna, you know, maybe you're gonna be in there for for a little while and then you're gonna go over there or you're gonna have, you know, you're gonna be have a roommate and you're gonna be there with other people that are going to be going through a myriad of mental health issues. Um, I had no idea. I honestly thought that I would be, because talk, talk about the campus, right? Like I had heard about the campus because I'd been in the outpatient program. So I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'm, I'm going on campus. I'm just going to be living there. Like I've packed a face mask with me, like associated self-care items. I thought like, oh, I'm just going to go and and hang out and kind of like get to be on campus and I'll go to my like Zoom outpatient sessions and I'll just be like living there where they can observe me, which is a very naive. <laughs> well, you weren't thought. prepared. I mean, so you were just as not prepared as I was. You were unprepared just like I was unprepared. Right. We just got there in different ways, but we were both unprepared. Right. So purple pod. Um, I was, I was in purple pod. So they told me, yeah, you're going to, you know, you're going to go to the emergency department, ask for purple pod. They're going to, of course, do some sort of intake with you, which I did not know would mean talking to 10 different people. Oh gosh. Yeah. That was. And now repeat everything you just said to a new person. Well, and I've gotten to the point where given, uh, given myself and my, again, tangential nature, I, somebody would walk in the room and I would just like, just start talking at them because you're like, yeah, oh, I'm going to have to do this. Just here. And I had one tech at the end of my monologue tell me, um, I, I just, I'm just in here to like, to take your, <laughs> to take, to take your, like, I can't even think of the word. Take your I'm vitals or something? Take, <laughs> yeah. I'm just in here to take your vitals. And you're like, I was manic and I was smoking weed and then my IOP thought and she's just going, whoa, whoa, I'm just here. Yeah, I'm like, and I think that the unrealized trauma that my ex-boyfriend was killing. Oh, like, I'm You went into it. I did because every person that came in, I didn't know what information they needed. And so it was that for all, I swear there was like eight to 10 of, uh, eight to 10 of them in there. I was just trying to get somebody to hear there was so much confusion. There was so much pain. There was so much just fear. Um, it really would have been nice if at the very beginning, someone had said, here's what's going to happen. Right. You're going to be stuck in here until there's a bed, first of all. And we should say that the purple pot is the psychiatric portion of the emergency right. department. Right. Right. I had, I thought I'm going to go in there. They're going to do some like intake work I I'd figured that they would do some sort of evaluation of me and then all right I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to my room and, I, and I'll be set well I was in there for over 24 hours um, which I guess is is considered a good day for them but being it was my first experience and only experience I was it it, it was it was quite a time I mean I had a old man who was not who who was not wearing his his Johnny properly. I mean, he was wearing it, but it was untied in the back and there was some visibility there that was unwanted. Um, and he tried break, like he opened the door to my room and walked right in multiple times. Um, oh God. And there's just, there's just staff around not doing anything. I asked for my my room to be changed and the tech that was by my room was like I would watch people walk around and people much worse off than I was just like strung out and, and emotional and looking for help and looking for assistance and the tech in front of me at her computer was shopping for couches on Wayfair. <laughs> this is like the worst moment of your life and somebody else is just like it's Tuesday I got some time to kill. When I got into the emergency department I was well, you're waiting in the hallway on a, I was waiting in the Ooh. hallway on a gurney prior to going into the purple pod and i heard somebody like somebody kept shouting in there and then 
you could hear it amping up, amping up. And finally you just heard like people tackle him or something of something that sounded like that. And I thought, where the hell am I going? What, what, what has happened? Oh my God. I didn't realize that this is what is. Yeah. And then I didn't get a room. I was in the hallway or I was just in a section with like three other beds. Wow. Uh, I was yeah, watching. At this point- I was just, I was watching, there was a room that I could see and I could see the TV at an angle and I couldn't hear anything on it. And it was on um, CMT, country music television all day. And it was just like back-to-back episodes of <laughs> some Tim Allen show. And then back-to-back episodes of, uh, oh, what's that? Fucking King of Queens. Oh, like, like yeah. four hours of King of Queens. that I, It's the only thing that there was to look at. So I'm watching King of Queens without volume just a nightmare being in there i kept trying to this- sleep but i couldn't because i was anxious about no one what's happening and it wasn't until they were like we're, we're waiting for a bed for you it could be five minutes it could be tomorrow how long how long were you in there um i was there from like 10 to 8 like 10 a.m to 8 p.m it was I like mean, 10 hours still a very long time long time but nothing like some other people that we know had to deal with like somebody was yeah. in there over like 24 um as 24 and that oh gosh no because they take away everything from you when you get in there you don't it's not like you can scroll on your phone no no yeah i was i was in there almost almost 24 hours oh so maybe it's you i'm thinking of and well it, it could be i know that there's worse than even me i heard somebody say that they were in there for like over the weekend Uh, but I i can't imagine but being in there for an hour is 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 enough, right? Is more than enough than than you ever want. So at any level, it's uh, less than less than favorable. It's funny you're talking about the TV. So I remember the TV's like in the wall, and you're like not even really. It's not there. Like there's a glass. So you can't touch it or use it or. Smash yeah, it. just like the just the weirdest, most sterile. Uh, and I remember watching the Munsters. Like that—that that was the only thing that was on that was even remotely interesting. And I've never watched that before. But for whatever reason, I watched it. I had a book with me, but again, like you were saying about falling asleep, I wasn't—I did not sleep. I probably was going with—I was up all twenty-four hours. And by the time that I actually oh. got to the inpatient ward, it was longer than that because it took them forever to get me like discharged and over there. So it was probably like, I was running on 30 hours of being awake. Yeah. There's no way to read a book in in there. It's just, your mind is racing about what is going to happen to me. I can't read a book and escape this right now. Were you the one watching, was it diners, dives and (laughs) drive-ins? Diners, drive-ins and dives. Is that, was that you? It may have been me. Somebody was like, oh, it's all that was on. And I watched that for six hours i i remember once i got my room moved they had asked me if i wanted anything um finally somebody came by they had promised me like a a, like a benzo like a an adivan like something to calm me down they have offered it to me like initially and then no one came with it and i didn't end up getting it until like two hours before i was supposed to leave um but they had asked me if I wanted anything and I just said something to draw with. Like that was the thing consistent throughout my um, experience of being manic was I've always been a creative person, but I haven't always been in touch with it. And it hasn't always been in like a very outward way. Um, Like I was, I didn't even take an art class in high school. Um, It's not like I'm, I've never like sold stuff on Etsy. It's never been anything like that, but I've always been a creative person, but it was on steroids when I was, when I was manic and especially when I was in purple pod. And then when I was in, um, in the inpatient unit. So I just was drawing the entire time. Um, and I was so, what's the word I'm looking for engrossed with like, whatever it was that I was like, I was drawing on the, on the trays that they were giving when, when they gave you food, I was just drawing on, on everything. And that was my way of like shutting it all off. Um, because like you said, there's, there's no, there's no shot of getting any, any, um, 
quality sleep or any sleep at all when you're surrounded by people being tackled as they come through the door and distant, (laughs) distant screams. So when you, when you, what was your impression of the inpatient part? Once you got over to the IOL, when you first got there, my, my experience walking in, I, I had, I had one of the, I had a good nurse and he um, was very kind to me when I got there and helped me to understand everything. Uh, But you're brought in in front of everybody and they start taking your blood pressure and all you see are people everywhere. And it was, mine was a Friday night. And so everyone's out there watching TV. People are playing games. And it's, when we talk about gambling on this podcast, talk about GA and people's first experience when they walk into GA is they're, down and out and like oh my gosh and sad and what am I gonna do with my life and then they go into a GA meeting and people are laughing and talking and they're like what the heck and you're like well these people have been in here for a while they've learned to adapt and deal with it and live their life but in these circumstances and that's what everybody was doing but I was like oh my god what what is happening there's too much chaos in here for me right now um but all I wanted to do because I had seen you and everybody playing games and talk and playing Monopoly specifically I gotta, I gotta talk to them. I gotta get in with them because they're playing games. I could, I'm, I could sit there and play games. So I was, I was, I was, I was wishing and hoping that that would happen, and it did. It did. Um, But what was your experience when you got in there? (laughs) As you said, it's always difficult to. I say always difficult to sit. This is something that happens all the time. Um, But it's it's difficult to walk into a setting like that. I mean, for you, for, I don't know about for, for you. I, I mean, I think I do, but for me, I've never been in an environment like that ever before. Me neither. So walking in, it's jarring for sure. Now, when I walked in, um, I am coming off of like staying up 30 hours, no sleep and I don't remember, like there's, there's still some things that I, that I feel I've kind of blocked out from the first day or so that I was there, but I remember the, the nurse that I had, she was going through this like sheet of paper that was like, here's what's, she was just like, like rattled off. Like, here's what's expected of you. You can't do this. You can't do this. You, this is happens this time. This happens that time. And she she spoke English, but it was, it was kind of like broken English. So it was like, just, there was so, there was so much that she was hitting me with all at once. And I, it was like, it felt like it was the second that I walked in the door that she came up to me and was, was like dumping all of this on me. So I remember, as I said earlier, I had all my stuff packed up. Like I had a small suitcase and a backpack that I had packed up. And cause I didn't know how long I was, I was going to be there or what to expect. And my dad ha- who dropped me off had gone home at, at night after it had been a few hours. So you could call, you could call people in the emergency department and purple pod. Um, but you had to, yeah, you had to write down phone numbers on, on a sheet of paper so that you could use the half broken phone hung up on the wall in yeah. the back of the back of the room. But I had told they had gone home and then the next the next day they were back said let me know when we can come and and bring your stuff so I wanted to to get my stuff I thought that maybe I would get to see them um get my things and get settled in and I was in at this point it was after six or maybe it was like after visiting hours for that day and I didn't realize that there were hours at that point so I had just said, where's my stuff? Like, can, can I, can I see my dad? Can I get my stuff? And she was like, visiting hours are over. Like you'll have to wait until tomorrow. And I lost my shit. Like I just, I think I was up against the wall and I just fell to the ground and started sobbing. And then out of nowhere, like, I, I don't know how much time had passed. Time is like irrelevant in this space, right? Like it just is, is not a thing. So I had somebody come back to me and they said, Oh, you know, we, we got your stuff, which is it. So it just seemed like there was a lot of confusion that I was met with when I had no idea what was going on. And then they had my stuff. So she had ripped open my bag and my backpack and she had, um, this was a different, uh, 
tech had had ripped open my my stuff and was just rifling through it and was like you can't have this you can't have this this needs to go back what is this like opening every single pouch in all of in all of my bags and all of my things and I remember saying like just (laughs) just give it all back like just give it I like I don't want it I don't want it um but I actually I think I think my parents were there that first night, if not like the next, the next night, I can't remember, but I was in the comfort room with them, um, which is, is named as such, because I don't know, there's clouds on the ceiling. Yeah, it's still cinder block. You're surrounded by cinder blocks and the TV behind the glass. And there's a chair in there that's supposedly comfortable, but, uh, it's it's still a hospital chair and then there's right. a table <laughs> speaking of the table it should just be called the privacy room yeah yeah um the table is the the star of my of the this part of the story is that i sat down and my parents were in there and when i first walked in as well like you said i think everybody at whatever time it was same for me that everybody was lining up for something i think it was dinner I don't really remember, but I had this one, this one patient come up to me and he's like, Hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. He's like in my face and, um, all eyes are on you. It's like, all right, fresh meat, like who's coming in. And by the time I got to my parents, I was like, I don't like, I don't belong in here. Like, I don't know what's going on. I shouldn't be here. And they were like, well, you know, Sarah, it's just for right now. And I got up and I tried to flip the table over out of like blind rage and um I didn't but I, I didn't actually my dad was there and like caught the table but I was so distraught like this feeling of like what on earth is this yeah I had the same individual come up to me <laughs> uh when I got there so you got there the night before I did I believe you were there I about think so 24 26 hours before me um so when i saw you for the first time over with the people playing games you i you wouldn't have known any of what you just said because you were you were kind of running around you were playing the game you were laughing you were that person and that's what made me like i want to get in with them they seem at least fun these guys over here that guy seems loud you know i'm <laughs> i'm judging everybody as soon as i got in the door i'm i'm and then when it was, and you're going to have a roommate. I, I was like, Oh God. Oh God. Um, luckily I, I had an awesome yeah. roommate, uh, who was very helpful to me. Um, but what changed for you the next day? I mean, that you were able to adjust and play games and be social. Honestly, Brian, I couldn't even tell you. I think that I, Obviously, it was a new day. I had slept at least to some degree. And when I came back out, I was just observing the scene, like just kind of taking it all in. And I think there were two people that were playing Monopoly at the time or about to play. And I just walked up to them. Now, now mind you, like I'm still, I'm still, I'm still manic in a sense, like not as bad as it was when I first, um, when everything first happened. But I was, I, it was, it was lingering still. Um, but naturally I'm an an outgoing person and, and a people person. So I just, I went up to them and I'm like, Hey, like the two people that I would not have, like, I think the most interesting part about being in an environment like that is that it just strips everything away from every single person you're all for the most part in the same exact pinstripe uniform that brian took (laughs) took yeah i did i got mine hanging in the closet robe and pants (laughs) they were so comfortable i loved them that was that was one of my favorite parts was being able to wear the same thing every day yeah and it was so comfortable uh that was definitely the highlight for me was the attire that was given out. Yeah. And then I, I loved it so much that I swiped it. <laughs> <laughs> I put it in the bottom of my bag going out the door. With other things. 
Um, yeah, I, and the other interesting thing I should note is that we were all wearing masks still, like everybody was wearing masks. So I think yeah. that that, cause I didn't even know what Brian's face looked like until I, I don't know, like until probably I saw you the first time that we went to get coffee. Like I hadn't really like conceptualize what your face looked like because we were all wearing masks like every second of the time that we were in there yeah that's true now I mean some people kept pulling them down and taking them off and um that is that was weird for me to go from because I was a stay-at-home dad and I was home all day so I didn't have a lot of mask wearing and then all of a sudden it's anytime you leave your room it's a mask and they let you know if you don't have it on yeah yeah I, t- I took mine down at some points. Um, oh, we saw it outside because when we would go, when they would take us oh. outside to get t- for fresh air breaks, which we got twice a day. <laughs> if you if you were lucky, you, you were lucky if you got once a day. Yeah, because the weather would prevent it sometimes. And then other times you'd be in a session and you'd miss it. Yeah. Um, or they or just wouldn't take you out. Your psychiatrist or your therapist would want to meet with you right at fresh air break time. Where you're like, oh no, fresh air. I didn't want to go. The first few days I didn't want to go. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just wasn't too sociable, but um, it was not Friday night. But so then Saturday, it would have been Saturday morning that they said, Brian, go get blood work. Okay. And you were standing in line in front of me and you turned around and I, and you're like, Hey, and I was like, Hey, (laughs) And I was like, yeah, it's the social one from last night who was playing games. This is what I need. So I was yeah. trying to be like, how's it going? Yeah. I was trying to get in with the group. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to sit at the cool I people's think, table. Yeah. And it's funny. It's so funny when you say that, like every single time, because I didn't even realize that that's what was happening. Um, I think I just kind of dove in to whatever felt right in that moment for me and I would have never been somebody that would just stay in my room all day and sleep all day like I just felt like if I did that that I would have the worst possible time I needed to be out in in socializing and around people and kind of just making it seem as normal as 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 it possible something like that possibly could and I think also I was just so uninhibited because I, because part of me, part of me was still manic, but the other part of me was just like, had shut that part off of my brain of like worrying about being judged or worrying about any of that. And I just kind of dove in and was like, I'm just going to like, who, what are these, what are these people going to do? Like shoot me down for asking to, to play Monopoly with them. Like, so I just, I just jumped in and, and it did quickly become that where there was like this group of people and we would just like, just cling to each other. And, and I do remember, I remember the first night that, um, you guys came over and, and I think you guys were kind of like, you were a little bit farther away, but you, you were kind of like moving in closer and closer. And I don't know if it was me or it was somebody else. I was like, you guys want to play with us? And you guys were like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we got, we got nothing going on. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. It's just, it's like awkward social behaviors that I'm, I'm just, I'm a bit introverted around new people and I'm shy. Once I know you, I break out of that. Um, but I'm, I'm very shy to begin with. And I knew in, in that environment, but then what I found out what you said is true is that when you strip it all away, everybody's in there dealing with something and everyone for the most part, is pretty cool. I mean, I, I'm glad that I was in Hartford because I met people I never would have met otherwise. Um, right. Because I, I wasn't in some hoity toity area. We were, we were in, in a part of Hartford in, in the city. And so met a bunch of cool people. Um, some not so cool. Some were not, uh, kind and some, you know, part of that was the, the issues. Um, I, I got, some 5g conversations going um being told at minimum told to, to watch out for 5g on my way out the door but no it was that group that seriously did wonders for me because it made me excited to get up in the morning and see these and see you guys i was excited to like get up and ooh, what's everyone doing and then i would say too that i was and yourself included i was impressed 
how many creative people were in there mm -hmm. because the amount of creative projects going on as far as coloring artistically uh, puzzle you know just it was so nice to see and you were a big coloring person and not i don't mean like just scribbling some colors on like intricate color designs of all of these printouts that they had that you could color on and everything turned out so beautiful they had the that that competition on the wall yeah. to hang your drawing up and somebody would win a prize and i was just again and, and it happened after you left as well i met more people who were that way and i was surprised at how many just creative artistic people were in there i know i know that was that was one of the things that i loved too was that yeah like i like i said before with everything being stripped away it was interesting at least from my perspective that Okay, right? Like um, nobody knows me in here. I've got a mask on. I'm showering in this like st stall of a shower that's like no frills. Um, I'm wearing more often than not uh, hospital clothes. There's nothing about me physically, outwardly that's impressive. So it's really, you really can only go off of the energy that you're feeling somebody and the connection that you're honing in on with, with any given person and leaving there and hearing, at least in my experience, like hearing, hearing comments from, from you, Brian, and from a couple others of like the impact that I had on somebody else or the connection and how, how much it meant to them. Oh yeah. I didn't realize like how, how, how that all came together and it came together so, so quickly and, and seamlessly. And it's, something that I still think about as a very special and unique set of circumstances that again not with everybody but with the select few that was just kind of this beautiful intersection between like I see you you're going through something so hard that we're all in this this space together um but you know let's just have let's just have good old fashioned fun, like no thrills, barely any phones. Like we're, we're literally playing Monopoly or coloring or reading a book, like the most basic things. Yeah. I mean, it was, you wrote me a letter on your way out the door. Yeah. Um, and that right. was a tradition. I, I mean, it seemed like a tradition to me at that point because mm -hmm. you had done it for other people and you wrote me a letter that was a beautiful letter on the way out because you left, um, a week before I did. And that was a, that was a sad morning because I was I, you were the glue of that group. And and one of the members of that group had already left, I think, the day before the day before. Um, uh, yeah, she had she had gone home. And so the group was slowly dwindling. And it was like, oh, this is this is coming to an end. And I got very paranoid because my roommate left as well. And I was just like, is it when does Brian leave? Because you're just like, these people are getting you through this difficult situation. Yeah. Yes, you're doing therapy and you're you're taking meds. But beyond that, it's these these people that you're in there with are, that are getting you through this incredibly difficult situation that you're in, that we are all there for. And when you left, I was sad. I was I was genuinely sad because I just thought, oh, oh, gosh, this it, it was it was that, you know, because you tell people, oh, we'll see each other again. And you know, no, I'm glad that we did that. I'm glad that we have seen each other again. Um, but if it wasn't for Lauren, and she's been on here, that's why I can say her name. Um, I don't know what I would have done because it was Lauren who got me through that second week. I mean, there were there were a new crop of people, and they were kind. Um, but it wasn't like that first week group. Right. Um, and and the dynamic of that group, the people who remained after you left, that dynamic, you know, slowly, it wasn't like it was. It was different. And it, it, the togetherness wasn't there anymore with the remaining people. So you were the glue of that. Mm. Um, but then it was, yeah, it was, it was, you got me through my first week and, and Martin, <laughs> and then, uh, and that was my roommate. And then uh, the second week was Lauren. And that's, yeah. that's what got me through where, I mean, there were other kind people and there were kind nurses and kind staff in there. There were a few others that weren't so kind, but um, overall, it was, I, I still look at it as one of the great experiences in my life, because if it not for that, I wouldn't be where I am now, which is just in a much better place. Right, right. And so since you were in there, how have you been since you got out? How have you 
been maintaining? Yeah, so I was inpatient for nine days. And after that, yeah, 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 it felt like an eternity. Um, But I, I, and and again, I don't, I didn't know, I didn't have any expectation going in there how long it would be, but I certainly did not think that it would be a week, no less, nine days. So I was ready. Like I was ready to get out of there. I thought that it was going to be like two days before then. And it was just, and then your, your roommate left the day before I did. And I was like, what? You just got here. I was so, but of course, again, like everybody's there for their own, their own purposes. Um, but it is tough to watch people go. Um, so yeah, I, I was inpatient for nine days and then I went back to the outpatient program and I was, I finished the outpatient program at the end of, so it was October 1st was the day that I, um, got discharged from inpatient. Um, and then I finished my program at the end of November. So since then, you know, I went back to work slowly working for corporate America, um, Mm -hmm. at the man at, um, the beginning of December and I was okay. And I was maintaining and it wasn't until the end of December after the holidays, um, I just hit a really, really rough patch. The best way that I can describe it is I think so much has happened for me um, in the last six months. And I had to shut off from a lot of that to take care of myself and to get these interventions and to just get to a stable point and figure out medications and which ones work for me and which ones don't and how are they going to make me feel. And I think after the holidays, it was the first time where there was enough left. There, there wasn't really much left. Like I had gone back from being in the office to being remote and there wasn't much left to distract me or for me to distract, used to distract myself. And I think it just all kind of like hit me at once. Like, holy shit, all this stuff really happened. And the weight of that was, was really crushing. So it it wasn't until really the last three weeks or so that I started to kind of round the corner from that and feel myself growing more and more stable and grounded every day. But it was, it was a tough end to 2021. That's for sure. And then uh, today, how are you? Today, I'm good. Today, I am feeling more like myself than I have in a while. And if I had to put a word to it, I would say, I just, I feel hopeful for my future, whatever that may look like. I think it is tough to get caught under the weight of circumstance. And especially when you're in a situation where you're having a lot of people tell you what you're going through, like having people tell you how you're feeling and why you're feeling it and what's going on. It can be pretty disempowering, especially with the weight of a new diagnosis that's much heavier than I've ever had. Um, But in kind of letting go of some of that and not letting it rule my life and my mind and every single thing that I do, I've been able to give myself a little bit of grace to say, like, you don't, you don't have to have this all sorted out in your mind right now. You also don't have to be used to it or okay with it right now. Like it can just be what it is. That's great. Um, I have to show you something. No, what's this? So when, when we were, when, <laughs> when we were in there, there was a schedule up on the wall. And this the schedule was, I would say, rarely ad- adhered to. And it it got under my skin so much. And I used to complain about it to everybody to where I asked the question at one of the community meetings to the superiors there of like, hey, how come we don't sk- stick to the schedule? What, what happened to that? And so towards the end of my stay, I was determined there was one thing that we never, ever, ever, ever did. And this, the schedule was up. It was like these construction papered, Velcroed. Uh, laminated. Laminated, yeah. They were Velcroed to the wall. And so uh, 
towards the end of my stay, I think like the second to last day or something like that, I was, I was talking to Lauren and I was like, um, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that off there. I don't want it on there anymore. It never happens. It's wrap up group. And that would be like at the end of the day, a wrap up group. And it never once happened. And I was like, they need to take it down. They need to take it down. And so finally I determined I will take it down. And so I snuck up to it. And this is right in front of the desk where, you know, at, at any time there's, there's five to 15 people there and there's, yeah, it's just we're right in the middle of where everybody is. So there's not really a great time to sneak up there and swipe it. But I walked up to it and I put my hand behind my back and I was just sort of standing there. I mean, I felt suspect as hell, but uh, for whatever reason, and I got it. Yeah. Got the wrap up group off the wall and I hold on to it today as a trophy <laughs> of my stay at inpatient. Um, it, it was a special time and I'm glad that we have maintained a friendship uh, because you made life so much easier for me in there and that meant a lot to me so um thank you so much for coming on and talking to me and doing the podcast and sharing everybody about your own mental health struggles and uh being hopeful now so thank you mm. yes thank you so much for having me this was great and i'm happy that you know we've been able to keep keep that connection outside of those walls because it doesn't happen with everybody it doesn't always happen that way so grateful for you and it and it was intended to happen with more people, I'm sure on both of our parts. And it just, mm. it just doesn't for whatever reason. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad part of it too, was that you ended up in Lauren's IOP. Right. And so, and so you, yeah. got, you, I think Lauren was there for like a day when you were there. So you didn't really get to talk to her much, but. Lauren spent the first day that she was in kind of sleeping mostly yeah. so the second day that she was out and about was actually my last day so I had kind of you know sat across from her at that table next to the the, the velcro schedule and we yeah sat there and doodled and, and whatever and so I didn't I didn't get her number or anything we didn't really talk and then I was yeah moving along with my with my IOP and all of a sudden I'm like turning the corner and again we're still all wearing masks but we're turning the corner and we look at each other and we were just like oh, hey like just this <laughs> total like we did not expect it at all so I started kind of talking to talking to Lauren more and and she's she's so great so it's it's kind of funny how the, the different ways that we all impacted each other and the fact that we're able to to still like join together. It's great. Yeah. It was Lauren's birthday, the 30th birthday the other night. And Sarah and I were both there and it was an awesome birthday party. We watched singing in the rain in the theater. How cool was that? Yeah. It was incredible. I had never seen. And I was like, this is great. I know. I had never seen it either. But thank you, Sarah, very much for doing this. And thanks everybody for listening. This podcast is owned by Lee Street Media, LLC. Music provided by T Vance. Remember, this is a podcast. The views expressed on the podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. If you need help for a gambling addiction, please seek professional help.